Hello, this is Mona Tanjeff, past president of NCSM, and welcome to the NCSM podcast, Learning with Leaders, the Game Changer series. Join me and my co-host, John Sangiovanni, as we sit down and have conversations with emerging and established leaders about how they are changing the game in mathematics education. Gandhi said, we need to be the change that we want to see in the world. So listen as we talk to mathematics leaders who are being the change that they want to see in mathematics education. We will learn about their inspiration, perceptions, and of course, their game-changing actions. Mathematics leaders, we know that the status quo is unacceptable, so it's time to change the game. Hello, I'm Mona Tanchev, and welcome to the NCSM podcast, Learning with Leaders. John Sangiovanni and I are the co-hosts, and today we are starting a new series titled The Game Changer Series. We have two game changers with us today. We have Steve Linewan and Eric Milu. Dr. Steve Linewan is a principal researcher at the American Institute for Research in Arlington, Virginia, and has over 40 years of leadership positions in math education. Steve is an author of several mathematics textbooks, books, and has written numerous articles. Steve has also served at, on the NCTM Board of Directors and is a past president for NCSM, Leadership in Mathematics Education. In addition, Steve Linewin was the awardee of the 2015 NCSM Glenn Gilbert Ross Taylor National Leadership Award for Outstanding Contributions to Mathematics ed Education and has been awarded the 2021 NCTM Lifetime Achievement Award. So Dr. Eric Milu is the professor of mathematics at Rowan University in Glassboro, New Jersey for 25 plus years. He has also served six terms as the president of the Rowan University Senate from 2007 to 2013. He's also previously served as president of the Association of Mathematics Teachers of New Jersey and the program chairperson of the 2007 NCTM annual meeting. He has co-authored several books and was a recipient of the Max Sobel Outstanding Mathematics Education Educator Award in 2019, ah, 2009. Eric was also the regional director for NCSM and was one of my mentors when I first started on the board way back in 2013. They are here today to discuss their newest book titled Invigorating High School Mathematics, Practical Guidance for Long Overdue Transformation. So welcome, Steve and Eric. Thank you. Thank you for having us, Mona and John. Thank you too. I'm excited for this conversation. So I'm going to dig into the first question we have for you guys, which is tell us about how the two of you came together to work together on your new book, Invigorating High School Math, Practical Guidance for a Long Overdue Transformation. So since Eric gets the bulk of the credit, I will tell the story. Um, I mean, we've sat in each other's presentations for years at local, regional, and national meetings. Um, you know, I sit in the aisle up front, Eric sits somewhere in the aisle toward the middle, um, and um, I don't remember what presentation it was, I don't remember what conference it was, we're probably talking about two or three years ago, um, and, and it, we realized that we were both saying that high school math is a mess. Eric had just finished talking about a whole bunch of ways to use three-act lessons and other online resources to do a better job. And I had talked about how um, we had to make other kinds of changes in high school math. And, and so um, we both um, sort of um, 
believe that um, there are some real inequities in high school math. We believe that there are limited opportunities. We believe that there's an obsolete curriculum. Uh, we believe that there has to be more statistics, that there has to be more modeling. And so we said, let's do a study group and then do a conference or let's do a study group and then write a report. Um, and so it was really a brilliant idea. And we applied to one place and they said, well, this isn't going to work. We applied to a different place and they said, well, it's a really great idea, but it doesn't sort of fit into what we think is going to, going to you know, work. And then we dealt with a good friend at NSF and, and he essentially assured us that, you know, he had like $100,000 to um, uh, help us. What's so important about this is, so you get shot down and you get shot down and you get shot down. And what game changers do is they go, my idea is worthy of persevering. Well, in this case, I was ready to say to heck with it. We are now in May of 2020. The pandemic has closed everything down. I am now in North Carolina and I'm helping with the homeschooling of my granddaughter and I am climbing walls. I can't believe how much of my life has been canceled. And out of the blue, I get a text from Eric that says, so now that we've been shot down by all these people, why don't we just write a book? And it was like, duh. And so I said to him, awesome. You're right, I can't believe it. I'll take the outline, all that stuff. I'll write a table of contents tonight, send it to you tomorrow. Eric took it and the very next day, because this has been our style, he shoots back um, a revision with what about this and how about this and change this. And we looked at each other and basically said, we can pull this off. These are the five chapters that I should and can do the first draft of, and then you'll fix it. And these are the ones that you can do. And so that's how we ended up with this book. And obviously I have had a long history with Heinemann. And so we didn't screw around with any of that. We actually wrote by June, the first four chapters and, um, and sent the entire thing off to our friends at Heinemann. And they said, wow, you know, this is a go. And then, you know, issues in the pandemic and, and, and staff changes and all, but that's how this came about. And I think it's a great story, primarily because um, you hit an obstacle, you hit an obstacle, but you sit there and go, no, this is too important to just let go. And I, and I gotta tell you, um, I have had um, a long life of being, um, a Lone Ranger. I am not a great collaborator. It is incredibly hard for me to collaborate. Um, I had a bad experience collaborating where it just didn't work so well. This has been an absolute joy. The depth of my respect for Eric has only increased and I think it's been mutual and um, we have worked together like two sides of the same coin. And so, you know, I tell people you wanna do something, get a, get a soulmate, get a good friend, get someone that you can um, bounce ideas off of and look at where we are. Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you, Steve. And it's an honor to work with you. Now, let me just add one other piece here is that, uh, you know, NC Tim started the ball rolling with this back in 2016. You know, Matt Larson's elected NCTM president. And Matt Larson made a, a very bold statement. I'll quote him right here. Matt said, quote, today it seems as nearly everyone agrees that high school math needs to change. For far too long, high school math has not worked for far too many students, end quote. It's Matt Larson in 2016. And it takes a lot of courage for the NCTM president to come out there and say, high school math sucks. <laughs> okay, he didn't quite say it like that. But that's exactly how Steve and I would say it. Matt is very kind and clearly correct. And then NCTM follows that up with a groundbreaking book, A Catalyzing Change. 
And Steve and I both read those books and we talked them out a lot, but we said we needed to go further. We needed to pick up where Catalyze and Change left off. Catalyze and Change was a really good start for what needs to be done in high school math, but it needed to go deeper. It needed to talk about curriculum changes, pedagogy changes, assessment changes, technological changes in detail. And that's what we tried to do in the book. And not only that, and also implementation guidance, a five-year plan for high schools to make these changes, not overnight, but in five years. Uh, so that's just a little genesis of where we're coming from here. Yeah, thanks for that, Eric. That really you know, helps, helps us and, and our listeners get wrap their heads around this. I have to ask one question before I get into some other questions we have for you. Um, Steve, you said four chapters by June. When did you start? It sounded like you, you, you pumped out four chapters pretty quickly. Just, yeah, just let me know. We started in um, May. And okay, we each, I didn't hear that part. Yeah, and, and we each wrote two chapters. Um, I also did the introduction. Um, and um, it just came, you know, flowing out. But remember, you know, the, the upfront material really was excuses. I mean, any of us can sort of capture what are the excuses that we all hear every time we work with high school teachers. The issue of the challenges, well, we wrote all that in our proposals. So we really were able to adjust that. And so that wasn't really heavy lifting. I took, you know, easy parts. Um, and Eric took on the, um, the um, pathways stuff first, which was a much, much bigger reach. So that's that's how we were able to do it. Um, and, and, you know, again, look what we were talking about. We we're talking about the pandemic. I mean, Eric was still doing some some um, virtual teaching, but my whole life had shut down. I was like, gotcha. so you guys yeah. were productive during the pandemic. They <laughs> <laughs> we weren't watching a lot of uh, Tiger King, apparently, but, you know, I'll judge them accordingly another time. Yeah, all I will say about the pandemic is, um, you know, given that we were overseeing our granddaughter's um, distance learning and all, um, a 13 going on 14 year old, the fact that we have birds and a bird feeder down in Durham and we do not have any of that stuff in DC, um, the fact that I learned to cook vegan food and I can marinate um, tofu, not that I love it, not that I would do it for anyone but my, you know, vegan, orthodox vegan kids, um, and this book. And then I've been reading more than I've ever read before, but that's how I stayed sane. Otherwise you could well imagine it yeah. could have been a problem. I, I don't know that. I, <laughs> yeah, it probably would. We'll leave it at that. How's that sound? We'll leave it at that. So, um, you know, game changers see challenges. They address those challenges. They see inequities as something you just mentioned. You know, our previous series was about inequities. Um, and before we get into some other questions, could, could you share what, what is an inequity or some inequities that you see um, as, as prevalent or problematic in, in high school math? Well, look very carefully. Just go back to Catalyze and Change. And the one sentence that jumps out in Catalyze and Change is just three words that just jump off the page in that book. And it says, tracking is insidious. Wow, the choice of words right there is just so powerful. NCTM said right there is that the most inequitable practice in all of high school mathematics is tracking. And not only will we call it inequitable, we'll call it insidious. And we've tried, we really tried to build on that and say, look, we got to dismantle this practice. It's totally inequitable. We laid out in, uh, in, in part two of our book, 
about a common curriculum for all students. Again, Kelly Weiss and Chains talked about that a little bit. We laid it out in detail. What's a common curriculum with no tracking for all students in grade nine and 10? We both believe firmly that it's an integrated curriculum like the whole world except for America. Is that ninth grade integrated curriculum? It's a 10th grade integrated curriculum for all kids. And in grades 11 and 12, it's not tracking, it's not algebra two honors and algebra two part A and algebra two part B, which are just algebra slower and louder. It is not that. It is differentiated pathways that are equally rigorous. And by the way, we have a big problem with that word in mathematics circles today. It's what is rigor? Unfortunately, rigor is just calculus only thing that could be possibly rigorous in mathematics is algebraic factoring. And boy, is that a problem right there that we have to dismantle itself. But, you, but differentiating rigorous pathways, a calculus pathway, a statistical pathway, and a quantitative literacy pathway. Different mathematics that meet different needs for different kids, dismantling tracking and allowing kids to choose the proper rigorous math pathway for their career aspirations. So, Sean, I think that question about um, what what is a game changer is really critical. And, you know, I mean, I think that the four of us are equivalent in our in the depth of our belief about the importance of NCSM, the way that NCSM, by definition, empowers people, um, the way in which it's themed of bold leadership. Um, this requires bold leadership. And um, to me, a game changer is someone who has a vision and translate that, that vision into a story. Um, my brother just retired as a Shakespeare professor at the University of Maryland. And um, I happen to be at his house tonight because um, my little brother is here and we're all going out for um, a really nice dinner this evening but I left him a copy of this book. And I mean, he is very, very critical. I mean, I can begin to tell you what a Shakespeare scholar does with my stuff. But he said, I'm surprised at how forceful it is. I'm surprised that the fundamental message is empowerment. And I can take that as I said that to him tonight, that I take that as a really high compliment that the voice that Eric and I achieved recognizes that a game changer creates and recruits for a vision by telling a compelling story. I believe, Eric believes that um, a game changer looks at the status quo and recognizes that it is um, imperfect and creates opportunities for change and for improvement. And so when the story says, we have all this technology and people are telling kids they can't use their smartphone or now a smartwatch in math class for reasons that I think are crazy. I mean, that's not cheating. The kids are doing what they will do for the rest of their lives. When we know that we're asking kids to do skills and, and, and mimic concepts that Desmos and um, Alexa and um, Google can, can do immediately, that's a story that people can relate to and say, yeah, I thought that, I felt that. When people realize that the fact that we do not have a retesting policy in most high schools in this country, that that's malpractice and you have to call it that. And the story sometimes gets a little edgy. The fact that there is such gross isolation, the fact that we tolerate that. And that's when I don't blame the teachers. That's when I blame the administrators and the department heads. That's when I blame the principals for not demanding. You know, I'm working in a school now where the teachers can opt out of coaching. 
Well, you know that I walk right into those teachers' classrooms. I don't care. Oh, I forgot. I didn't realize you were in 215. I thought I couldn't go into 213. And everyone knows I'm lying. But yeah, I mean, so to me, the game changer is obviously someone who takes some risks, but fundamentally recruits a few people knowing that there's going to be pushback. But you have to recruit some other people and move from there. And it's really um, pretty strategic. And I think that you look at the implementation section in our book, it talks about fail fast, fail often. It says about have a discussion. It says build understanding. We talk about how if you don't bring the guidance counselors in, if you don't bring this to the Board of Education early on so they understand why that's going on, then it becomes really, really hard to, to be effective. I want to dig into your brother's work, but that doesn't seem appropriate for tonight's uh, uh, podcast. So maybe next time, maybe next time. But all right, I, you set the stage for really the series, Game Changers Empower, Game Changers Recruit, Game Changers Recognize at the moment is imperfect. Um, right. And that is a powerful takeaway of, of all this. Um, so thank you for that. Mona, what, what, what would you add? So, so one, I had the privilege when I bought the book um, and I had the weekend to myself and I sat at a pool and I read for about four hours. And so the first like three chapters are all about the excuses. And I felt that I was listening to conversations that I've had with high school educators over the last 15 years. Um, like it was like you were listening to my conversations as I was having, you know, asking questions. A lot of things that I do is just, I'm like, you know, well, why do we do it this way? You know, do we think about something different? So throughout the, the book, when I was reading, it talks about this long overdue transformation. And the book clearly speaks to changing the game of high school mathematics. Mm -hmm. So it was cool, it, it was cool, it sounds silly, but it was really nice to hear stories of schools where they've done things. Like there was examples of artifacts from some of the schools you guys have worked with. So as you guys were writing or your own experience, what was one of your most favorite nuggets or actions from the work that you've done with schools that have done some of this transition or transformation? Eric, there are the examples that you built into the pedagogy and the assessment and the uh, modeling and the um, technology captures, I think all are things you're really proud of. Um, yeah, it's, it's often hard to talk about changes in pedagogy that are long overdue in math education, especially in high school uh, on a podcast. I'll have to say that up front. But we all know that high school mathematics is still chalk and talk in America. And as much as we have changed K through eight mathematics for the better, that pedagogical changes in high school mathematics are still long overdue. We talk about that a lot and we show a lot of examples in the book of how we have to engage kids into what I call experiences. Like just taking notes, whether the notes are now on a jazzed up PowerPoint or whether their notes are in guided note format, don't engage students in the 21st century when they can Google the definition of every word and Google the theorem and everything else and all the content that you think you're giving them is available on Google. We have to change that pedagogy, that kids having experiences in math classes. And experience is something that they can therefore re recall the content from. So an experience and engagement, we outline some in the book, 
And then maybe at the very end, oh, by the way, here are the notes. Here are the definitions if you didn't quite get them from the experience. But until we engage kids in mathematical experiences, uh, and, and instead of continuing to treat them as just dumping knowledge into their brains that they can look up and Google, it's a fundamental shift that we have to think about. We do that not only for pedagogy, we have the shifts in pedagogy that we need to make. We have the shifts in assessment with tons of examples of what assessment looks like in the 21st century. Also, I mean, the key word there in assessment I like to talk about is that students are no longer consumers, but they're creators. Is that so often they're just consumers of knowledge no longer when they can just look up everything on the internet. They have to be creators. And we talk about what the difference between a consumer and a creator is in the assessment chapter. We will break that down. And then the last two chapters in part two of the book, we'll look at technology and we'll look at what I think is the overarching theme of all high school mathematics, which is math modeling. We've been saying that for years, by the way, that math modeling must permeate everything we do in high school mathematics. Dan Meyer has certainly taken the lead on that with his groundbreaking work on three-act lessons. But what is modeling? How do we model? And examples of modeling in every single thing that we teach us to permeate the content. I think what's, what's so important is that we have to break out of the notion that once you have a book, once you have a curriculum, once you have your standards, once you have your units, you're done. And the question always comes down to not just what, but how. And so the part three of the book um, really gets at what should it look like? And we work really hard to include specific examples of what the um, lessons might look like. We have samples of what we think are high quality assessments for people to measure their own assessments against with a set of criteria. Um, we have um, examples of the technology and how it can significantly enhance a lesson. And we have a bunch of examples of, of modeling so that you, know, you can't escape it. Uh, we're not just talking at people, but we're trying to be very specific. But, but when you ask about nuggets, I gotta tell you, I think that there are bookends. You know what, when I finally had to read it like Eric did for the last go through from start to finish to make sure that the galleys were, were all fine, I was struck by, um, by, by the, the bookends of the first chapter that speaks to the challenges. Um, the, the discussion there about how there has been inadequate guidance, how there has been, uh, I mean, the Common Core, as we all know, has been wonderful K-8, but I mean, they all ran out of time and, and, and the 912 Common Core has set us back 10 years because it didn't move things ahead in any way, shape or form. And in some ways it made things even worse. Um, we, we know the professional isolation of, 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 of the professional. And so I'm, I really love the way in which we've tried to say, hey, we share your pain. We understand that there are challenges. We understand that this is frustrating. We understand that no one is really happy with either the outcomes or the processes of high school math. And then I happen to really love the way in which I just spent a whole lot of time um, on pages 166 and seven in the introduction to the implementation chapter 10, um, a whole lot of time with Michael Fullen and with all of the change literature and I guess that if I was going to use this to support leadership, if I was going to go back and do a session at the NCSM Academy, for example, um, uh, I, I would worry about 
helping people remember that there is no way around. Change takes time. We never give people enough time. Change begins with informed discussion, but too often the scope of change is imposed from on high. We need to recognize that if you ignore that, you're just wasting your time. Change takes careful planning, and that's why we've got all these tables. Change takes winning over colleagues and decision makers. Too often we just do a top down or a bottom up. Um, I'm a great proponent of teachers, you know, bootstrapping it and just doing it, but I understand that change of this magnitude, they're gonna get killed by, by the public and all. So it has to be done um, right. Change requires mutual trust a sense of collegiality, a shared purpose. And, and we know that that's beyond the, you know, in too many cases, the typical math department. It's why one of the guiding principles is this whole notion of the, the department culture. Change requires careful monitoring. You gotta be open to the fact that you fail and then you pick up the pieces. It's not perfect. It's not gonna be great. If you can get three units in this integrated math one in a year and try them out and um, have to redo two of them, to me, that's a rousing success. So there are the nuggets that, that we turn people to. And just then I had just one couple, couple other uh, uh, important nuggets is that, you know, we mentioned earlier about uh, curriculum changes in grade 11 to 12, about quantitative literacy pathways or about statistical pathways. And I think one of the important things of the book is that there are people out there doing this. There are, you know, there, there's a great uh, IDS course, uh, Intro to Data Science that came out of National Science Foundation. It's very popular uh, in Los Angeles Unified Public Schools. Uh, and we, we show that resources. You don't have to start from scratch here. There are schools doing great work in statistical pathways. There's also great work coming out of quantitative literacy pathways, the work of the Data Center at U Texas Austin. Uh, they're all out there and available. We list the resources. We can, you can download the samples of alternative pathways uh, for students. And, and those nuggets are important that we want you to change the game. We want major change in high school, but we have a five-year implementation plan and we will provide the resources in the book to help you do it. That was something that was really important as I was reading through it, as I was thinking about some of the schools that I'm working at and wondering, you know, they, they, in the book, there are prime examples of what it looks like. Mm -hmm. And even though some of the other series you guys mentioned or textbook or books you guys mentioned earlier on of like where this work started, it was very theoretical. Whereas what I'm hearing you describe is more practical. Like, like here are some examples of what it looks like in this school, or here are some other examples. So I think that's really important for future readers of the book to understand that it's not that you're just saying, hey, go do this. You're, you're saying, okay, so here's what we want it to look like, and here's how you can get there, which yes. I think is really important. And practical means doable to me. Um, you know, Steve, you just mentioned the guiding principles, and that's gonna get us to, our next and probably our last question, but you know, it also makes me think about what Eric was sharing and that you know, we all know that this is long overdue, um, but getting started can be overwhelming. And that's even without those, you know, thinking about outside factors or other challenges outside of the schoolhouse. So in the book, there are 14 guiding principles to invigorate high school mathematics. Yep. What advice do either of you have for leaders about where they might start, where they might dig in? Let me take the lead on this one. Um, 
One of the things that I'm proudest of is um, I got a copy of um, Jeff Crawl's Necessary Conditions when it first came out and um, read the book and just loved it. And I sent an email off to Tracy Zager Johnson and to Jeff saying, chapter five is unbelievable. Chapter five captures what ought to be happening in every single high school math class. And it's time that you just release it as a loss leader. And you may or may not know that they did that. They said, you know, good idea and it's no big deal. It has now become, in a sense, standard operating procedure at Stenhouse and at Heinemann now to take a chapter and release it. So Eric and I didn't have to think for half a second when we said, and by the way, chapter 14, it's now available to anybody. It's all free for a download. Um, it comes in, it looks just like this. It's, it's, it's just beautiful in all of its colors and all the examples and all that stuff. Um, and, and so I think that, that the starting place is our math department needs two hours. And, and we need two hours with food. Um, we need to be treated like professionals. We need to get out of just a regular department meeting that we rush in and rush out. We have a department meeting where we are um, in a sense required to read or at worst skim these 20 pages before the meeting and, um, and then I think that the discussion questions with a reasonably competent um, moderator or facilitator um, of these 14 domains, which ones do you think your department comes closest to meeting? In which ways is that, is that there? I wanna start with what's positive. I want them to say, hey, we know we've come a long way with technology and we're really making a good use of our interactive whiteboards and we've changed some of our lessons. I think that in fact, we do have some collegial um, you know, infrastructure. We do actually sit in each other's classes, but you know what? We have not codified a vision. You know, we just sort of do our own thing. Um, we really have not done anything with integration. Our curriculum is still. And so which ones are you doing? Start there. And then which ones do you think your department is furthest away from meeting? Which ones? I start there because I don't think you start with the ones that are furthest away. You've identified the, the two places where you've got a strong thing and where you're not going to tackle it in the first year. And that leaves you with three or four or five, and that becomes either course committees or department committees or individual assignments for what is the status, what can we do, what can we do this year, what can we do next year. And I think just that starting point of using these 14 domains of invigoration, knowing what it says in there, that you cannot possibly do all 14. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's absurd. I think that the magic word is two or three or you have two different groups with two here, two here. You look at four of those things, recognizing that you're ignoring five for the first year. And that in that sense, you own the process. It doesn't have to be facilitated by an outside person. But I think that we know that there's enough research to suggest that sometimes an outside person, a critical friend, um, you know, can help that process along. But in lots of places, there's not enough money for that. People are afraid of it. And so this is, me and Eric playing critical friend and saying, here it is now, go and, and, and work with it. Yeah, and just piggybacking on that, as we end the book, we again talk about a five-year implementation plan. And we talk about that first year, the first year of implementation has nothing to do with implementing anything. Is that first year is just a year of study, a year of reading, and a year of building what we're gonna do. 
building a consensus of what we need to do, an analysis of our current conditions, a review of relevant literature, and building consensus on where and how to begin. And that totally starts with those 14 principles in chapter three that we have totally released for free on the Heinemann site. It starts there the whole year is nothing more than analysis of review and building consensus. Then and only then can we move forward to year two with an initial implementation and much more intense planning of the next three years. So I, I'd love to sort of you know, tie this up a little bit. I'm, I'm actually trying to find something that I tweeted this afternoon. Because okay. I was, I mean, it, this, this free time, which is a joke, but um, I'm reading about the new normal and I, and I just find that expression to be incredibly off-putting. Um, new is off-putting for one set of reasons and the worst thing that can happen in this society is that we return to some kind of normal. And so I spent about an hour just Googling around on new normal and alternatives to new normal and picked and chose from different places. I tweeted to um, something that Shelby Cole tweeted about we're not going back to normal. And I wrote, amen. The new normal isn't the answer or the hope. Instead, it's smarter, greener, fairer, more equitable conditions for many, many more. And high school math reform, like we're talking about, is fundamentally about those aspects. Fair, more equitable. We are talking about a richer curriculum for all of the non-honors kids, a more relevant curriculum. We're talking about breaking out of the absurdity of algebra two pre-calculus calculus um, in, in important ways. We even have this radical notion that you don't have a problem anymore if you don't have to put kids in eighth grade algebra to ensure their parents that they'll get into calculus because we don't believe you need to have algebra two and pre-calculus. We think that because we've moved so much algebra to eighth grade and you have a solid integrated course in ninth grade and 10th grade that you can have a combined rational forget the polynomials, forget the trig identities, and do the critical algebra two pre-calculus in a coherent whole that leads you direct to calculus. And we're seeing that in more and more schools. That's equitable. And so it's less tracking and it's this common nine and 10. Um, and it's our plea for using the resources available to support what everyone is talking about, and that's the, the most important issue of all. We close our classroom door and give people the tools and the understanding and the coaching to provide more equitable teaching. And I think that, you know, what's so neat about some of the stuff, but it's also covered better in other materials, is the, is the when all is said and done, less tracking, more equitable teaching means differentiation. And differentiation is one of those horrible words bandied around in our profession that most administrators write on evaluation forms and couldn't do it, model it if their lives depended upon it. But we all know that differentiation means that there are 26 different brains in your class. They are processing it in four or five different ways and they are seeing it in four or five different ways. Differentiation means who saw it differently? Who can show me a different picture? Who can show me a different whiteboard? Who did it differently? How did you approach it? How did you approach it? 
that is the essence of less is more. What great teachers have been doing since I first watched Dick Brown teach at Exeter 150 years ago is he differentiated naturally by saying, who did it differently? How else could we visualize that? He did four problems when everyone else was doing 10 and 12. That's the hope and the vision. That to me is the essence of equitable teaching. And so uh, it's, you know, you hear our excitement about um, all of our years in this business. And we've been able to, you know, have the luxury, have the privilege of putting this together and hoping that people find it a useful tool. But that's it, it's a tool, it's not all the answers. We end where we begin. Um, Eric said it so clearly that it is a, um, a manual to study and plan from. I like to end, I always like to get the last word in on Steve. Yes, uh, <laughs> I love it. And I like to end with, uh, it's just a completely rare agreement that NCTM, the Math Association of America, and the American Mathematical Association of Two-Year Colleges, AMATYC, that all these organizations have put out publications in the last five years with the exact same phrase. And the phrase is, the status quo is unacceptable. The status quo is unacceptable in high school math, NCTM says. MAA says in a book called The Common Vision that the, that the status quo is unacceptable in collegiate mathematics. And APMAT says the same thing about the status quo in two-year community college mathematics. Mm -hmm. It is completely rare for all three of these organizations that use that verbiage, the status quo is unacceptable. We need to make changes. The time is past due. Let's do it. And this is how you change the game, right? What up, guys? Yeah, this is how you change the game. We've got we've got to change the status quo. And for math leaders, it's one thing at a time. Like I, I appreciate how you guys are saying that it takes it doesn't you, you can't do it all in one year. That this right. is the this is the long game, right? right. Like you're going to have these conversations with multiple people, with all your stakeholders, and, and that's how you change the game, one conversation at a time. So first of all, I just want to say thanks to both of you um, for participating in our very first series on Game Changers, and I appreciate your insight, and I'm looking forward to finishing the rest of the book. <laughs> Agreed. Thank you both. Thank you for your work, your contributions, and your time. It goes both ways. I mean, you know that Eric and I are both amazing fans of both uh, you, John, and you, Mona, the work that you've done inside the organization, outside the organization. And, you know, I just look at this screen um, or I listen to these four voices. And what I see is um, people who are just committed to helping our colleagues serve kids better, serve teachers better. And, um, you know, I'm 72. I'm older than all of you. And it's just continues. <laughs> together. It's just how much. No comment, Eric. I should never have done that. Door open. All right. Look at this bookshelf. We hope you have been inspired by this bold mathematics leadership conversation and will tune into our podcast series each month. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review. You can learn more about NCSM Leadership in Mathematics Education and our upcoming professional learning events on the NCSM website at mathedleadership.org. You can also follow NCSM on Twitter 
at MedVedLeaders using the hashtag NCSMBold. Thanks again.